Welcome back or welcome to Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast. This week on the chapter Genesis 12 through 17 and Abraham chapters 1 and 2, finishing the pearl of great price this week. We continue through the generations of the beginning of the Old Testament. As the generations continue from Noah and the Tower of Babel, eventually we get to Abraham. This, These particular chapters is the story of Abraham and the start of the Abrahamic covenant. This is the story of how Abraham makes that covenant with God. The Abrahamic covenant is very, very important. Even if you don't know what it means, you've probably heard that mentioned in church or in spiritual discussions before. It's a key part of the gospel and our membership in Christ's church. This will be something that we talk about continually for the next few weeks as we go through the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all that it means. Most of the story in the Old Testament has to do with many different facets of the Abrahamic covenant. But before we get into that and how it came to be, I want to talk about the person who made this covenant, Abraham, and what happened in his life that allowed him to make such an impressive covenant, an important covenant with Heavenly Father. Let's start in Abraham chapter 1, which is to me one of the funniest the openings to a chapter of scripture there is. So like I mentioned, this is a time after the Tower of Babel. As we open the book of Abraham, we see to our left this picture of someone laying on an altar and you know what's going on. And if we look at the little descriptions of it, Abraham is fastened to an altar and there's an idolatrous priest attempting to offer up Abraham as a sacrifice. In essence, Abraham is about to be killed, sacrificed. And it's funny to me that we this is confirmed by Abraham later in the chapter. He references this picture. But verse one, Abraham talking about living among the residents of his father. And he says, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. Uh, I think so. I think if you're about to be killed and sacrificed to the Egyptian gods, you definitely should find another place to be. Jokes aside, where Abraham was, he was in a place that was very wicked. Sadly, this sacrifice that he was about to become was because of the wickedness of his father. His father had turned away from obedience to God and began to worship idols and to began to worship the Egyptian gods. And we see this described in verses 5 through 7 and then verse 12, starting in verse 5. My fathers, having turned from their righteousness and from the holy commandments which the Lord their God had given unto them, unto the worshiping of the gods of the heathen, utterly refused to hearken to my voice. For their hearts were set to do evil and were wholly turned to the God of Elkanah, and the God of Libnah, and the God of Kara, and the God of Korash, and the God of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore they turned their hearts to the sacrifice of the heathen, <laughs> I like this line, and offering up their children unto these dumb idols, <laughs> and hearkened not unto my voice, but endeavored to take away my life by the hand of the priests of Elkanah. The priest of Elkanah was also the priest of Pharaoh. And if we jump to verse 12, then it came to pass that the priests laid violence upon me, that they might, also, that they might slay me also, as they did those virgins upon this altar. And that you may have a knowledge of this altar, I would refer you to the representation at the commencement of this record. So the, the picture at the beginning. So jokes aside, of needing to find a new place of residence, he was, his surroundings, his fathers were wicked. They were willing to sacrifice him. I'd like to think that maybe it was because Abraham saw this wickedness and saw that something was better. He desired for something a lot more. He desired more than the wickedness he saw around him. And this is described back in verse 2. And I love the words Abraham uses. Finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me 
I sought for the blessings of the fathers, and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge, and to be a greater follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace, and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God. Abraham had a desire to be a greater follower of righteousness. But I love that that started because he saw that there was greater happiness that could be had for him through the experience of his fathers. When he says fathers, he means uh, generations past, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. And having the history, including the history of Noah and Noah being a part of that group of fathers, he wanted to experience what he had seen in the past from his progenitors. And sadly, his father turned away. So he sought out this desire based off this. He sought what he was looking for. One way or another, he finds himself strapped to this altar about to die. And he prays to God, and God delivers him in verse 15 and 16. And as they lifted up their hands upon me, that they might offer me up and take away my life, behold, I lifted up my voice unto the Lord the God, unto the Lord my God. And the Lord hearkened and heard, and he filled with me the vision of the Almighty. And the angel of his presence stood by me, and immediately unloosed my bands. And his voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah, and I have heard thee, and I have come down to deliver thee, and to take thee away from thy father's house, and from all thy kinsfolk, into a strange land which thou knowest not of. So the Lord delivers Abraham, and he makes a narrow escape from this and from the idolatrous priest trying to sacrifice him. And as the Lord said, he's taken to a strange land. Immediately, we see the start of the Lord promising this strange land. And so the chapter continues, the story continues of Abraham being led to this strange land and being given promises that we're going to talk about at length. But he receives this amazing covenant with God, the Abrahamic covenant. And jumping through a lot of that really, really quickly to chapter 2, verse 12, I love how Abraham expresses himself after being able to make this covenant with God. He says, thy servant has sought thee earnestly. Now I have found thee. Abraham simply had a desire to be a greater follower of righteousness. He wanted more righteousness in his life. And the Lord answered that desire with a covenant. And that was fulfilling to Abraham's desire. That covenant was the privilege that Abraham was looking for. Abraham isn't the first, and he's definitely not the last one to desire righteousness. And covenants aren't exclusive to Abraham. Even the Abrahamic covenant isn't exclusive to Abraham. It's something I've talked to lots of people about in in myself, my own desire that I have to be better to make sure that I'm being the best, to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself. And sometimes I just feel very limited that I'm not being the best version of myself. And why, you know, why am I not better? Why am I not having the experiences that I desire? And sometimes it's frustrating. Like I feel like I'm just not being that version like Abraham. I seek my appointment according to the appointment that God had unto our fathers. This chapter was an answer to me that this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the covenants in general we wait make with the Lord are the blessing and appointment or righteousness that I'm seeking. This was a blessing that Abraham was seeking, greater righteousness. And I can seek that same thing and I can find answers in the covenants that I have made with God. That more and more in my life, as I seek to be a greater fall of righteousness, I can go back to my covenants and see how I'm doing in honoring those, including the Abrahamic covenant. 
anyone who seeks the Lord earnestly can be a part of this, both the Abrahamic covenant and just covenants with the Lord in general. Our covenants make it possible for us to be true, committed disciples of Jesus Christ. If this is a desire you have to be a greater fall of righteousness, reflect on your covenants that you've made and how are you doing in keeping them, be that baptismal covenants, priesthood covenants, or covenants you've made in the temple. And then, of course, the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to discuss at length now. But I just, I love the idea that those desires of righteousness can be fulfilled through covenants. And I love what Kumphomi taught about this, about covenants. To just speak about them generally for a moment, we know that a covenant is a sacred promise between us and God. The Sunday school answer often describes it as a two-way promise between us and God, and that is that is very, very true. But in Come Follow Me, this great section right before it went into the sections for this week's chapter, it's called Thoughts to Consider or Thoughts to Keep in Mind the Covenant. And they've done this frequently uh, throughout the Old Testament, and I, I see that they're going to continue to do this kind of as each section of chapters we study pertain to one thing to kind of keep in mind this week, of course, being the covenant. And I love what these first two paragraphs said. Throughout the Old Testament, you will frequently read the word covenant. Today, we usually think of covenant as a sacred promise with God. But in the ancient world, covenants were also an important part of people's interactions with each other. For their safety and survival, people needed to be able to trust each other. And covenants were a way to secure that trust. So when God spoke to Noah, Abraham, or Moses about covenants, he was inviting them to enter in a relationship of trust with him. And I love that idea that this is a relationship of trust between us and Heavenly Father. That just as much as Heavenly Father is entrusting us with something, we begin to trust him with something, that we trust that covenant that those promises will be fulfilled. And it, it makes me reflect on this interaction that I had with my mission president. I was finishing my mission, and at the end of your mission, you have a departing interview with your mission president. You know, you spend two years with them, you grow a lot, and they talk to you, have an interview with you one last time before you head home. And I'm not sure this is something that you still do, but when I was a missionary, your last six weeks as a missionary, you work on something called My Plan, where each week you're required to do a module talking about different aspect of your life, be that uh, your physical health or a career or spirituality or, or dating all, all these important things, and then you make a plan based on that. How would you? How do you want? What goals do you have, and what plan are you going to do uh, to to do? You know, to date or to maintain spiritual habits or whatever it is, and that is called your plan. So you take this plan that you print out with all these goals and ambitions and plans that you've set, and your mission president looks it over, and then you discuss it in your departing interview. And I've reread my plan a few times, and it's kind of embarrassing to read how how much I thought I would be capable of doing. It's like I thought I could live a totally consecrated life of a missionary for the rest of my life. Anyway, my mission president, I think that he understood where it was coming from, a desire for righteousness to continue being a follower of righteousness and a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, he's found something in his life when it comes to priesthood callings and priesthood leadership that he always knows that he is doing the right thing, and that the Lord can trust him when he's doing his home teaching. This was back at the time before it was ministering his home teaching. And not to get way off into the weeds about home teaching, but as a covenant responsibility for priesthood holders, 
to watch over the war family, to spread the gospel, to be a proper priesthood holder. I thought, well, how true is that? When Heavenly Father sees a priesthood holder fulfilling their covenant in something as important, but often as disregarded as home teaching, of course the Lord knows that he can trust them. And I love the way that that relationship is one of trust, that when you make a covenant with Heavenly Father, he is trusting you to do something and to be something important that he needs you to be. So if you feel in your life, if I feel in my life, to have a greater following of righteousness, more righteousness in my life, to reach the appointment, so to speak, that I would like, covenants and living up to them is a great place to start. So let's move on into the actual Abrahamic covenant and understand that covenant that we have made with God a little bit more. Because like I said, this particular covenant is not exclusive to Abraham. It is called the Abrahamic covenant because it was first made with Abraham, but it is then remade with each one of us. There is a lot that happens with the Abrahamic covenant, of course, with Abraham, and then later his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, who becomes Israel, who then he has 12 sons, and and so on and so forth. And one of those is Joseph with the coat of many colors. And each generation has additional events that add to this covenant. Promises are made and promises are fulfilled. But it started here with Abraham. And so we're not going to talk about everything that happens in the Abrahamic covenant. We'll talk about that over the next few weeks. But right now, the kind of initial part of it, I had a seminary teacher who taught it to me this way, and I'll never forget it because I thought it was an amazing way to teach it. When Abraham made this covenant with the Lord, the Lord promised him three things. The three Ps, place, posterity, and priesthood. I have to be careful not to say prosperity, but posterity. In the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was promised place, posterity, and priesthood. And I made a chart and I went through studying these chapters and thought and saw in each chapter, as the Abrahamic covenant is explained, as the covenant is made with Abraham, are each of these things promised? And they are. To read through some verses here, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, to first talk about place, a place that is promised, a physical place, a a promised land, as it's often described. Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give thee, and to thy seed forever. Genesis 15, Verse 7, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And then 15 verses 18 through 21. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river, and then kind of explains where this land is, but I don't know what any of these rivers are, but just says this land was promised to Abraham and his seed. So there was a physical place that was promised. We see this fulfilled as eventually the Israelites end up being in bondage to the Egyptians. Moses comes along to deliver them and delivers them to a promised land eventually. That promised land is the fulfillment of this promise. They are the descendants of Abraham receiving the place that God has promised. So there's very much a physical piece of land that has been promised to Abraham. So then posterity. Genesis chapter 17, verses 2, and then 4 through 9. So verse 2, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Coming to verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, 
and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in the generations. So we also saw a little snippet of the previous promise of a place, but also posterity. Many generations to come through him, that he will have a great seed. and that is referred to as the Israelites. The Israelites are the seed of Abraham. He had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob, who changed his name to Israel. And that is why they're called Israelites. So again, a physical promise of generations of seed, meaning descendants, grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth from him, that he would create many mighty nations, uh, which do. So again, a a physical promise. Now, this also is in Abraham chapter two, the first part of verse nine, and I will make thee of a great nation and will bless thee above measure and make thy name great among all nations. We're gonna come back to the rest of verse nine later. So again, place, a physical place, austerity, generations, large uh, nations to come from the seed of Abraham. And then the last one, priesthood. So in Abraham chapter two, verse six, But I, Abraham, and Lot, my brother's son, prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord appeared unto me, and said unto me, Arise, and take Lot with thee, for I have purpose to take thee away out of Haran, and to make thee a minister to bear my name in a strange land, which I will give unto thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession, when they hearken unto my voice. So we see all three promises there. A strange land that will be given unto them, to his seed, which will be great, but also a ministry to bear in his name, the priesthood jumping to verse nine and finishing the other half of it. And thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear the ministry and priesthood unto all nations. Jumping to verse 11. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee, that is in thy priesthood, and in thy seed, that is thy priesthood. For I give unto thee a promise that this right shall continue in thee. This right, meaning this priesthood, so we can change it. That this priesthood shall continue in thee, and in thy, thy seed after thee. That is to say, the literal seed or the seed of the body shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal. So again, a promise that his descendants, that he would have this priesthood that he sought after, that he saw his fathers have in the past, that he saw his progenitors have, but also his seed. And we see that fulfilled again with the Israelites. We see that fulfilled with Moses. We'll talk about that later. And the very organization of the priesthood, the different tribes of Israel, those are all Abraham's descendants, some of them having a particular right to priesthood. While there's not, and it'll get complicated, and we'll get into that later. But again, through his lineage, his, the generations after him would have the priesthood as his descendants. So again, place, posterity, and priesthood. But there's also a fourth thing that was promised to Abraham. And it doesn't start with a P. I tried to come up with a word, but close, it's an R. And that's a responsibility. And you kind of saw it there in Abraham 2, verse 11. And that is kind of the end of it there. It says, In thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessing of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of all life eternal. So we see this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is kind of the very, very beginning of the, the covenant with Abraham. One of the first things 
that God promises to Abraham when making this covenant is in verse 2 and 3. And I will make of thee a great nation, which is posterity, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Responsibility, that as he receives the priesthood, as he receives his posterity in this wonderful place, his posterity, his seed, will have the responsibility to bless the entire earth. And that's something we all are blessed by the Abrahamic covenant. Now, a lot of this, as we talked about, has a lot to do with generations, descendant bloodlines, being literal descendants of Abraham. There are those people out there who are, through bloodlines, descendants of Abraham. But Abraham chapter 2, verse 10 is also important to remember. When the Lord talks about blessing him, I will bless them through thy name. For as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name and shall be accounted thy seed and shall rise up and bless thee as their father. You may have heard the phrase adopted into the Abrahamic covenant. Even if we aren't literal descendants of Abraham, by accepting the gospel and being baptized, we are adopted into the family of Abraham and we are able to receive all of the same covenants and blessings and responsibilities as the literal descendants of Abraham. That is why we talk about it so much, is because every member of the church, physical descendant of Abraham or not, has all of these blessings, but also the responsibility. It's something that's declared in our patriarchal blessing. What lineage we are in the, in the tribes of Israel, which is part of the Abrahamic covenant. It's so important. It's why it applies to us. It's because it's a covenant that we have made. Covenant we have made. A covenant that was first made with Abraham, but will continue to bless the whole earth as we accept the gospel. We are able to receive all these same covenants. You become part of the Abrahamic covenant when you're baptized. You renew it every week when you partake of the sacrament. And you make even more of this covenant. You fulfill it completely in the temple and the covenants that you make there eventually. All those blessings of the Abrahamic covenant were restored through Joseph Smith. This is a covenant that his, God has made with you individually. So as we read about Abraham and we keep reading about him and his descendants, don't don't just think about God's relationship with them, with these people that existed a thousand years ago. Think about God's relationship with you because this covenant is just as real and it is your covenant. Even though it has Abraham's name on it, it is your covenant as well. So these promises, these very literal promises, place, posterity, priesthood, and the responsibility associated with that, most of those things were fulfilled with Moses and Aaron and the Israelites fleeing Egypt and going to the promised land and all of the many things that happened after that, Jeremiah. There's also a spiritual fulfillment to all of these. Our celestial destiny, not just a physical place on earth, but a place in heaven. And the promise of eternal marriage, not just earthly posterity, but eternal increase and the posterity we will enjoy through celestial marriage. And in that internal increase, the priesthood and power we will have in celestial marriage. So yes, there very much was a physical fulfillment as part of this covenant, but more so, there's a spiritual fulfillment, a place in heaven, a celestial posterity, and a celestial priesthood. But that responsibility doesn't go away. I love this line right out of Come Fall Me. Did this covenant give Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants a privileged status among God's children only in the sense that it is a privilege to bless others? 
the family of Abraham were to bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations, sharing the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal. Now, there's a lot more nitty-gritty to the Abrahamic covenant. I wish I would have had a chance before this episode to talk to my sister, Caitlin. She's an expert, I would consider, on the Abrahamic covenant. Her knowledge of it is remarkable. A lot of that happens in later chapters, though. As you see in these chapters, the initial promises made to Abraham were pretty simple. Most of it, we don't see fulfilled yet. We just see the promises made to Abraham. Remember, his wife, Sarah, uh, is unable to have children, right? Even though he does have a child, Ishmael, through Hagar. There's increased responsibility. There's increased uh, complexity, if you will, that is added with the Israelite people and Moses and the law of Moses that comes with that, the lesser law, and and the 12 tribes of Israel and all the birthrights that we will... We will continue to read, that we will get to those as we read through the Old Testament. But right now, it's important to understand those three things. That there is a place promised to us. That there is posterity promised to us. And there is priesthood power. Now, for anyone who is not a man, any woman or young woman listening, don't think that you are left out from that priesthood covenant. You may not be a priesthood holder, but the blessings of the priesthood of the power of God are just as real in your life. Every single time you make a covenant, participate in an ordinance, baptism, your own, or baptisms for the dead, the sacrament, or later ordinances you'll participate in the temple, including semestial marriage, that is you receiving blessings of the priesthood, the promises of priesthood power. And so the responsibility is there for all of us. Ultimately, for us to bring these blessings of this covenant the rest of the world, the blessings of the gospel. That's pretty much it. We can get into a little bit more specifics as we get into the tribes of Israel, but the initial covenant responsibility was to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. It's a wonderful covenant. Sometimes it can be kind of daunting because of the extensive history between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually into Moses, and the ways that it can get a little bit murky. But this is the important thing to remember. Two specific things that I thought were pretty important. As we see in Genesis chapter 17, as the Lord is making this covenant with Abraham, he says that, his, that he and his seed after him for generations need to keep the covenant. So if we go to 17 verse 10, this is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and the seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. The first like responsibility, physical act of keeping the covenant they had to do was to be circumcised. So if you're not... <laughs> Are you not a part of the covenant? Uh, No, not at all. Again, a wonderful blessing of the Book of Mormon. In Moroni, chapter 8, verse 8, at the very end of the verse, and the law of circumcision is done away with me. Also, in 3 Nephi, we see Jesus Christ say that the law of Moses is fulfilled in him. So a lot of the complexity, a lot of the intimidation that I have with the Abrahamic covenant comes from the law of Moses and all the specifics that happened then. But those things are done away. Yes, there are individual responsibilities that the tribes of Israel have, and we'll get into that when we get there. Those things are declared in your patriarchal blessing. We're not there yet. We're at the Abrahamic covenant, which is a simple thing, that God promises to us a place in heaven, a celestial increase or posterity, and his power, the power of the priesthood. And our responsibility is very simply to bring those exact blessings to the rest of the world to those without it. Those missionaries, Sister Wilson, Elder Johnson, who I talked to earlier today, 
Elder Damron, who's serving in the wonderful place of Blanding, Utah, where I served, they're fulfilling that covenant responsibility. We are when we share the gospel, when we try to bring this, this great message of joy that just like Abraham felt, finding that there was greater happiness and peace and rest for him, we are to bring that to the rest of the world. And that's simply what the Abrahamic covenant is. It's a covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm, I find myself, I'm really repeating this, but it's because as I sat down and I knew that this was about the Abrahamic covenant, I got kind of worried like, oh no, this will be a long episode. How do I explain this properly? I'm learning right now that it is a lot simpler than sometimes it feels. It's very much about our relationship with God, not just about some guy named Abraham a long time ago. God has a work for us to do. We may not be a prophet in our life, and we don't need to be. All of us are here, and God needs us. Even if it takes him delivering us from certain death on a sacrificial altar, whatever it may be, God will deliver us for his work if we desire it and are faithful in seeking it and listening to his counsel. And a great place to start is with your covenants. What covenants have you made? If that's just baptism, what did you covenant? And are you honoring them? And if so, there is greater righteousness for you to receive by doing so. That ultimately is the lesson of Abraham that, yes, what the Abrahamic covenant is, but also that that privilege for us to make covenants with God, to have more righteousness in our life because of them, is available to us. And what a blessing that that desire for righteousness does not have to go unanswered. I bear my testimony that the Abrahamic covenant is important and it is a blessing to us right now on earth. And it's a, such a privilege to share it with other people. And that's simply our responsibility. And I promise that covenants, honoring our covenants, seeking out making covenants with God is a way to bring more righteousness into your life. And as Abraham des- described it, more happiness, peace, and rest. And I say all that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening, for me rambling on about the Abrahamic covenant for a little too long, but I was just really surprised to learn how simple it really is. Sometimes I think about the Abrahamic covenant, my head starts to spin because I think about all the tribes of Israel and everything that they went through with Moses and the law of Moses, but there's a simplicity here that I really appreciate. I don't know why that word keeps coming back a lot. Maybe it's because the Old Testament's intimidating. Who knows? Thank you for listening. If you have shared this podcast, Thank you for doing that. If someone has shared it for you, thank you for listening. If you also would like to share it, there is a link in the description that will allow them to find their preferred place of listening to podcasts. Podcasts are weird. They're all over the place. They may not listen on the same app that you do, but there's a link tree below that you can share with them and they will be able to find it on their preferred place. Anyway, thank you all for listening, for enjoying the scriptures with me. I'll talk to you all next week.